Just before we get to our Bible reading in Leviticus 1, who would you live with if you could live with anybody? Anybody willing to say? You don't have to. But if you could live with anybody in the world, who would you choose? Your wife. Well, brownie points to you, my friend. <laughs> Got there before all the other husbands in the room. Lovely. Yes. David Attenborough. David Attenborough. Nice. Yeah. God. Derek, you win the prize. I mean, you, there, there you go. There's the sermon. There is, right, let's, let's, let's jump off on that point. The reason I ask you is because there's an amazing point in the Bible, which we're about to read, where uh, God says, I want to move in with you. Leviticus chapter 1, he's saying, I want to dwell among you in a tent. You're going to live in tents. I'm going to live in a tent in the middle. It's going to be my real presence. So that's what we're talking about today. And indeed, for the next uh, two months, June and July, while we read Leviticus together. If you have a Bible, it's near the beginning, page 102, Leviticus chapter 1. You may like to turn to it, or you may just prefer to listen really carefully to God's word. Leviticus 1, verse 1. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be acceptable on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons the priests shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. You are to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash its blood against the sides of the altar. You are to cut it into pieces, and the priest shall arrange them, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of them and burn them on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you are to offer a dove or a young pigeon. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off the head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He is to remove the crop and the feathers and throw them down east of the altar where the ashes are. He shall tear it open by the wings, not dividing it completely. And then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is burning on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, would you help me to speak words of scripture, words of life in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And where this just feels unfamiliar and alien and really old-fashioned to us, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would be as alive as ever. Illumine our hearts, we pray, and show us Jesus, and what it means in the 21st century. Amen. 
So, who are you going to live with? If you choose to live with David Attenborough, then glory. I mean, that's amazing. You're going to learn a lot about nature. I imagine it comes with certain disadvantages if you live with someone famous, right? Because there's going to be like media interests. Uh, there might be some paparazzi hanging around when you go outside your front door. You remember Notting Hill when Hugh Grant steps outside his front door and Julia Roberts is his girlfriend and <gasps> suddenly there's cameras everywhere. So there are certain disadvantages to living with somebody famous. But certain advantages as well because you get to know them. You're their friend. They can presumably get you all sorts of perks and privileges. Living with God. Certain advantages. Would you agree? I mean... He is the one. He's, he's the powerful one. He's the source of all creation. He's life itself. He's good. Amazing. Disadvantages. He's holy. He's powerful. He's pure. Do I really want to get that close to God? Think of it like living with the sun. And I find this a helpful thing that we'll come back to throughout Leviticus. If you could pull the sun out of the sky and have it live with you, Wow, I mean, certain advantages, like it is the source of warmth and heat and energy in the universe, so I'd like a bit of that. That would be amazing. It's beautiful as well, but living close to the sun, if I have the sun in my house, I'm dead. You know, I'm a crisp. Uh, and it's like that with God. You know, if I'd love to live with God, but I'm not ready for that. I can't do that. But with that frame of mind, you are, you're ready for Leviticus. That, this is the stage the people of God have got to in the Bible. As I said, I want to study this with you until the end of July, God willing, and I'd launch into it with a degree of trepidation. I've been here as pastor for five years, and it occurred to me recently, I, we've studied all the other major genres of the Bible. So you may know there's a bit of history in the Bible, we've done that. There's prophecy in the Bible, we've done a bit of that. There's poetry in the Bible, we've done some of that. There's gospels, we've done plenty of that. There's letters, we've done that. We, there's apocalyptic, we've even done a bit of that with Daniel. But uh, I, I thought, well, I've never done actually law the Old Testament law, particularly Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, I just never touched it, taught it. And I thought, well, Pete, I have some integrity. You've got, you've got to teach the whole word of God to the people of God. So here we are. And when I offered it to the home group leaders, I said, do you want Exodus or Leviticus? They, they went for the, in my view, the harder one. So thank you very much, guys. Uh, and I thought, we mustn't run away from the bits of scripture that seem hard. In fact, I would say, if it seems hard, it requires more attention, more careful handling. I want to move towards those bits rather than just go for the easy bits that everyone can broadly agree on. Indeed, God gives us his story as a story. So if I'm tempted to think, well, that, that doesn't make sense to me because that's just a bunch of laws. I think you've, we've already lifted it out of context and forgotten the story. So that too, I want to try and recover with you. And it also makes me think, as I turn to Leviticus in my Bible, of a lecturer I had at Bible College, went there for three years, and um, my Old Testament lecturer said, Leviticus is indispensable. He shouted it in his American accent, indispensable for the Christian. So if, if, if he knows anything about the Old Testament, I want to discover that with you. Why is it indispensable for you and me? To give you a foretaste of that answer by way of introduction, the New Testament is built on this book and the rest of them. I mean, particularly with Leviticus. Think about it. If you're reading the New Testament, get me to Jesus, get me to what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Well, the New Testament wants to talk about sacrifices and priests. I mean, Luke's gospel literally opens with a priest. Um, what's his name? Zechariah. 
making a sacrifice. You, you don't know what that means if you don't know Leviticus. The New Testament talks about temple and curtains at really significant moments. You don't know what that means unless you know Leviticus. Jesus touches people whose skin is unclean in the New Testament, and it's a big deal. You don't know why that's a big deal if you don't know Leviticus. Jesus touches dead bodies in the Gospels, and that's a really big deal, but you don't, you don't know why that's a big deal if you haven't read Leviticus. Jesus comes along as a male without defect or sin, and you don't catch the full significance of that if you don't know Leviticus. Jesus bleeds when he dies, and you don't know how big a deal it is for someone just to bleed, unless you know Leviticus. And Jesus is then totally given over to death. And guess what? You, you don't know the significance of that, to have someone wholly given over to death, unless you know Leviticus. Without Leviticus, so much else in the Bible, it simply doesn't make much sense. It's a bit like, what can we liken it to? If you were offered uh, a BCG vaccine and you started getting the government saying to you or your child, please come and have this vaccine for this thing called tuberculosis. If you don't know what tuberculosis is or TB, or if you don't know how serious that can be, you're going to think, no, that's just a text, that's just a letter. I'm not interested in this solution that you have, government. I don't need any of this vaccination stuff for BCG. But if you know anything about tuberculosis, you might think, yeah, I'm going to take the vaccine. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll get on board with this thing that they're offering me. And so too with Jesus. You know, if, if we're to go around saying how amazing Jesus is, offering people the Jesus vaccine, if you like, then it would do us well to know the severity of the problem that he's fixing, which in Leviticus terms is unholiness, uncleanness. If you like, in, ter in terms of the sun, we're talking in terms of the sun, if, if you want to live with the sun, with the God himself, then you need to know how blazingly pure he is so that you're going to survive. If I were to try and summarize Leviticus in a sentence, I'd say this. The Holy Lord calls his people to live with him. The Holy Lord calls his people to live with him. Or if I could give you one word, I'd say holiness. That's what we need to talk about. That word holiness is God's call and his provision for us. And we'll be exploring that together in the coming weeks. Home groups are going to be discussing these things. So if you're not in a home group, but you would like to be, and you want to spend some time midweek just getting a bit more time, dwelling deeper, thinking about holiness, then please do speak to me afterwards or email me. I'll show you one thing before, um, by, by way of the whole book. The way, the way the book begins is very significant. You have it there in front of you. The first words in Leviticus matter, perhaps disproportionately. It says, the Lord called to Moses. When the Jews uh, referred to Bible books, they wouldn't call it Leviticus. That's actually a Latin name that came centuries later. So you know, the, the, the names at the top of each book in the Bible are not actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were added by late editors later. So Leviticus literally means of the Levites in Latin. Levites were priests. The way the Jews would refer to the book is by its opening Hebrew word, which is, and the Lord called. So they say, let's read from the book, and the Lord called. And it's very significant because it reminds me of the gospel. The, the whole book of Leviticus, which is about law, begins with the Lord in a tent saying, I'm calling to you, Moses. I'm calling to you people. I want you to live with me. Does it remind you of the gospel? Because it's God's initiative. 
So the gospel is, is literally Jesus tabernacling amongst us. He, he, he dwells amongst us as the people did in a tent. And he, he calls the people. He says, come and I want you to dwell with me. I'm calling to you. Come. So by, you know, we're on the opening word of Leviticus. And it's, it's reminding me that oh, this is what it feels like to be a Christian. The Lord is calling to me. I want to dwell with you. God's initiative. That was by way of introduction. What I, what I want to talk to you about in Leviticus chapter 1 is the top two ways to experience God's presence. Or you might call it the law and the gospel. You could equally call them the old covenant and the new covenant. And I've got a surprise for you at the end. I know it's warm, but uh, uh, let's, let's just look at God's world, word while we've got peace and quiet together. Okay, top two ways to experience God's presence. First way, Israel offered whole burnt offerings. That's one way you could do it. This is Leviticus chapter 1. As I said, you could, you could summarize this as the law. You could do it by way of the law. There are three different options in Leviticus chapter 1 for how to relate to God. They come in the three main paragraphs. So do you see, do you want to follow with me? Verse 3. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. So that, that moves that animal. That's called a bull. Uh, verse 10. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. So that animal goes, bah, that's a, that's a ram or a sheep or a goat. <coughs> Excuse me. And the third option is verse 14. If the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you are to offer a dove or a young pigeon. So that animal coos is a bird. The point is, with the three options, there are three different options depending on how rich you are. So Leviticus is a really inclusive book. It wants to draw everybody in so they can dwell with God. So if you can afford a bull, bring a bull. If you, you can only afford a sheep, bring a sheep. If you can only trap a couple of pigeons, then do that. And did you notice what happens to them all? They get killed. I mean, it's really gruesome, and you can't escape that, can you? They, they actually get killed and burned. You guys know I love a prop in a sermon, right? So I'd love to, love to show you something. So it's not just words. Um, and I was trying to work out, well, how can I burn, burn offering? What can I possibly do? I'd, I had visions. I ran them past Sarah for uh, setting fire to something. We decided no. Uh, I'd, I thought I should just set fire to myself uh, or, or something else. And we don't want the church to catch fire again because uh, that, that has happened before. So I've foregone the prop today. But... Can you imagine? This is what they had to do. They had to, they had to burn it, all of it. It was a whole burnt offering. But verse 9, burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering. Verse 13, burn them on the altar. It is a burnt offering. Verse 17, burn it on the wood that is burning on the altar. It is a burnt offering. Next week, we're going to look at chapters 2 to 7. I'm going to try and lay out for you the other four main offerings in Leviticus. But with all of them, there is some, something reserved. You, you might give it to people who are hungry. You might give it to the priests as their share. You might get to enjoy some of it yourself. But with this one, the first one, it says, nope, you know, burn all of it, 100%. It's also voluntary, so it's not a tax like the government impose on you. This chapter in chapter 1 is voluntary. Other sacrifices are not. It reads as if to say, look, if you love the Lord, if you owe your whole existence to him, if you, if you love being out of slavery in Egypt, then you might want to symbolize it by offering something whole to him. 
And this was the way Israel had to experience God's presence. And it was, it was good. It was God's designated procedure. The New Testament says the law is good. Just help me out. There, there, are, th- there are three main paragraphs, and every one of them ends in the same phrase. Can anyone tell me what it is? Yes, thank you, Joel. An aroma pleasing to the Lord. You see that? So each of these three options, an aroma pleasing to the Lord as he smells it, as it were. So this is, this is good. God was pleased to set down these arrangements and he wanted to have them offered. Of course, we'll get to talking about sacrifices and how that could be. But God was willing to look down and see the voluntary, whole, burning offering that showed visually that a human being loved him and think, that's pleasing. I see their heart represented here. But, let me be crystal clear with you, don't do this today. Okay, don't come to church next week with a goat, you know, coming up Cavendish Road leading a goat, and then, because I, I, I won't cut its throat and we're not going to burn it together. Don't do that, because we're New Testament Christians. I'm not a part-time butcher, like the priests were in the old days. And you don't need to lead livestock to the slaughter. But this was a, this was a genuine way. This is the first of two ways to experience God's presence. Offer whole burnt offerings. But it's the second best way, thankfully. What's the best way? Oh, let's look at that together. The best way to experience God's presence is that Christ becomes the whole burnt offering. So that was the first way Israel offers the whole burnt offering. Second way, Christ just becomes the whole burnt offering. Or in other words, you could try the law, but better to try the gospel. I was reading the Bible with someone, um, this was during COVID, we had to sit outside because you know, we couldn't come inside. And I vividly remember sitting in that courtyard and he had come from Islam to Christianity. He, he could tell there was something intriguing about Jesus Christ. And he told me an amazing story about a, a pet lamb that he had growing up in um, his Muslim culture. He said, I love that lamb. I looked after that lamb. It was a pet to me, so I had it in the house, used to cuddle it. But then one day, I vividly remember, he said, uh, the local imam came, and it was the time for the qurbani, which I believe is the the, the annual time when um, some Muslims still make animal sacrifices. And he said, the imam came into my house, and he said, "I, I need your lamb. And he said, no, that's my pet. You can't have my lamb. And the imam said, yeah, but your household needs to give a lamb, so I need your lamb. And apparently they, they prized it out of his arms and they took it away. He said, I, I, I stood at the window. I banged on the window. I said, no, don't take my lamb. But they took it anyway and he never saw it again. That's what we would be doing if we still lived under the law. People did that for centuries and apparently they still do, trying to experience God's presence and favor through the blood of an animal. And I said to him, we sat out there and, and I said, I think you're really going to enjoy Hebrews chapter 10. Can I just tell you what the Bible says about all this animal sacrifice? And we turn there. Can I, can, would you turn there with me? Hebrews chapter 10. It's at the end of the Bible. Page 1208. Hebrews 10, page 
The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With, what are those next two words, anybody? Burnt offerings, you see, Leviticus chapter 1, with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, this is Jesus speaking, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, next two words, anybody? Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. You notice he's talking about burnt offerings, but that's not the main point. It, it says, I know the law has come, but I want to talk about Jesus. And he keeps saying, I have come, I have come to do your will. I want to do this. Jesus is the one who's come. Jesus is the one who pleases God. Jesus is the burnt offering. His whole life was given over to God. Jesus was, ever thought about it this way? Jesus was the male from the herd without defect. He was singled out and brought forward and he died. All of him was offered up to God, even death on a cross. When you might have thought, if you knew anything about the incarnation, you might have thought, oh, well, I understand that Jesus is uh, a willing priest, but presumably when, when it gets to the point of the nails and the hammers, when it gets to the rough wood and the Golgotha, then the angels will swoop in. You know, Then they'll save him. But they don't. Because Jesus is 100% wholly offered up to God every breath of his life. He is the whole burnt offering, if you like. Our passage concludes in verse 10. Hebrews 10.10. 10. I mean, whatever. If you want something to memorize this week, Hebrews 10.10. 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So brothers and sisters, there are two ways to experience God's presence. You could do it the Leviticus way. That's the law. You offer your whole burnt offerings. Or you could do it the Hebrews way. That's the gospel. You could, do it, you could approach God through Jesus Christ and his once for all sacrifice. Right, there's just this little surprise at the end. So I, I can't leave you without just telling you one more thing about burnt offerings in the Bible which is that you become a burnt offering. Can you believe that? I sort of, I had to stop at my desk and think, is this right? Is this, is this theological? I, yes. Romans 12 verse 1, you might know it. Famous verse, it says, Romans 12 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Or Jesus teaches famously, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind that's a whole offering the whole of you or as Romans put it it's a living sacrifice where the whole whole of a creature is offered to God if I put it this way um, we have a cat and uh, whenever we have a roast dinner the cat loves a bit of roast meat 
So, you know, we'll enjoy our nice roast dinner, like roast lamb or something, and then at the end of the meal, meow, the cat will come sort of sniffing around with his tail in the air. He knows that there's some roast meat left on the tray, and we're happy to give it to him. He loves that sort of thing. But it wouldn't be okay to do that with God. I don't recommend that you sort of, you take your leftovers. Here's, here's the rest of what I have, God. Uh, that's, that's my offering to you. God, God wants the whole burnt offering. And just so with you, you know, if, if my whole life is to be a living sacrifice, I, I'm not going to give him the leftovers from my life. Oh God, here's some stuff I've got left over. I thought you might want the offcuts. He wants the whole of me. What does it mean? Well, I think when, when you come to pray tonight or tomorrow, if you were to offer God the leftovers, you might pray to him all the stuff you want. And then if you've got any time left, you might say, oh, and I'm supposed to pray about God's kingdom or, you know, um, a praise and worship God. Uh, I sort of put that as leftovers of my prayers. Well, I would suggest to you that that's not really offering the whole of you. When it comes to your money, I think once we've bought all the stuff that we want, then we might, oh, yeah, and um, yeah, giving. So I might offer some leftover money to God. I would suggest to you, flip that round. Offer, offer the whole of your finances to God, God, how, how can you use me and my money? And then go for the stuff that you might want. What would it mean in terms of the days of the week? Well, it might be tempting to think, uh, Lord, Monday to Saturday, that, that's sort of mine. And Sunday, that's yours. That's the, that's the leftovers of the week. And I'm going to think of that as the last day. I would suggest you flip it around. Sunday is the first day of the week in Christian terms. And, and, and all of the week, all of the days belong to God anyway. God, you have all of my time. I just want to spend my life serving you. You might think about your evenings, you know. Oh, I have to go to work, and then if I have any leftover time, morning or evening, I'll, maybe I'll offer that to God. Well, the whole of your life is for God, to be spent in joyful holiness, whatever you're doing. You might think about the span of your life, you know, tempting to think, well, mm, I'd quite like to spend a few decades doing the stuff that makes me happy, and then I'll offer, maybe my retirement can be for God. No, the whole of your life is for God. You are a living sacrifice. Or you might think about your body. You know, I, I, there are things I just want to do with my body. But the whole of your body is for God and is for offering to him. And Christianity does something amazing, right? It flips you around from thinking in terms of the law. Do I really need to give God the whole of it? Because I don't really like that. And with Jesus, it flips it into gospel and grace so that it makes it possible for me to think, Jesus gave up everything for me. Jesus was the whole burnt offering for me. He offered his whole life for me so that I could come and dwell with God. And now it begins to be a, a warm, delightful, joyful thought for me to offer my God in, in worship to him. Amazing. Let me f finish by telling you, um, about three weeks ago, Sarah and I were invited to go and speak to a bunch of generous Christians in South London. And it was a joy. They, they sort of, they, they had plenty of money and they wanted to give it to church planting in London. And we were invited just to speak to them about um, gospel generosity. And aside from being super encouraged, I tried to tell them a story about Lady Selina, Countess of Huntingdon. And let me just spend a moment on her before we finish. Um, she was old money. She lived about 300 years ago, but amazing, amazing life. So her sister shared the gospel with her when she was in her 20s, I think. She becomes Christian lady. She's Countess of Huntingdon, so she's nobility. 
And um, from that moment onwards, she's just growing in this passion for Jesus. She starts inviting all her other lords and ladies to hear the gospel. She invites them to dinner parties with George Whitfield, who was this gospel preacher at the time. She starts planting churches in Bath and Tunbridge Wells and Brighton and London. She builds chapels so that Whitfield and his preachers can preach in them. And uh, she loved to spend her life and her status and her money being a whole burnt offering, if you like. In fact, George Whitfield described her as being all in a flame for Jesus. Isn't that a great way to be described? If, you, if, if that ended up on my tombstone, I think I'd be, I'd be happy. All in a flame for Jesus. And may it be the same for you and for me. In joyful holiness, all in a flame for Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, I feel my my breath catches in my lungs a bit again as we read about the gruesomeness of Leviticus, but also that seeing Jesus led to that hill to be totally offered up. We praise you for him. Thank you that we don't have to deal with bulls and goats and pigeons anymore being slaughtered, but we get to stand in wonder at Jesus Christ, the, the perfect one, who offered himself up as a whole burnt offering. And Lord, then when, when this begins to touch our lives, would you lead us? We come trembling, nervous about where you might take us if our whole life is to be a living sacrifice, but also joyful. We, we feel joy at being beckoned to live with, with God. And pray for my friends here that you, in all areas of life, in all of holiness, you might transform us and make us holy by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus who died for us. Amen.